Greetings to the loyal Dynamic Nonprofit podcast uh, listeners. Um, I hope that as you listen to this, uh, you are well and safe um, and the same for your families and your companies and the organizations that you work with. Uh, I hope everybody is continuing to uh, stay strong and united as we um, go through the COVID-19 pandemic together as an industry. And I wanted to very quickly queue up this um, uh, interview that you're about to listen to with Mark Cross, who's sales director with Good United. And Good United has um, revolutionized practice of Facebook fundraising and how they thank Facebook fundraisers and cultivate them in a way which is much more organized and programmatic than um, what we've had to date with Facebook fundraising. A lot of Facebook fundraising is just incidental. There isn't a programmatic approach. Well, Good United is trying to change all that. And this conversation was recorded uh, before the pandemic was in the headlines, so we don't reference it. But I think a lot of our discussion is especially relevant to what we're talking about now as an industry uh, in light of the pandemic and the ability to be nimble and communicating with donors on a number of different fronts as things uh, quick change very quickly. And uh, what you're going to hear is um, uh, about some really innovative things that Good United is doing with Facebook Messenger, uh, which is communicating with donors at a very, very high open rate. Um, and really can might be a superior way to contact donors, not just in a crisis all the time, but especially in a crisis or an emergency situation when you need to get information out them out, out to your donors and supporters that's contextual about a situation, how you're responding to it, if their help is needed, and also for everyday engagement uh, as well to deepen the relationship with donors, um, uh, regardless of what channel they are acquired from. So um, it's it's a conversation that's extremely relevant for the issues uh, that we're dealing with now as an industry as we respond to this unprecedented crisis, but it's also very evergreen um, as we continue to talk about the importance of having multiple touch points with your donors and being able to communicate with them on any number of fronts based on what their preferences are. So uh, I think it's a, a conversation that you'll get a, a lot of um, a lot of use from, a lot of u- useful knowledge and uh, application for, uh, especially now in light of current events. And one more quick note, um, one of the reasons why this interview was uh, delayed a little bit was that it required a little bit more editing on my part. There was an audio delay where you might hear a couple times, Mark and I, our uh, voices overlap. That's a delay. So it was a little bit more uh, labor intensive for the editing process. So if at times the interview sounds like one of those uh, old school daily show interviews where you have these quick takes that sound like they're uh, edited out of context, that's not it at all. I just had to clean it up a little bit. So there was minimal overlap between our voices, but still a very informative interview. The audio quality that we have is excellent and it'll definitely be worth your time. So here's my interview with Mark Cross. I hope you enjoy it and uh, I'll be back on the other side very quickly to wrap it up. And now we're pleased to welcome to the program Mark Cross, who's sales director with Good United. Mark, we thank you for taking the time to join us today. And um, we'd like to uh, start off with the question that we ask all of our guests, and that's um, to tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Um, tell us about your origin story and how did you get to where you are today working in nonprofit fundraising? Over four years ago, 
uh, I was living in Indianapolis and had the opportunity to take some time off uh, from a job to spend with my uh, first daughter after she was born and was really searching for something that I could be very passionate about. And I had a good friend who worked for Blackbaud at the time and told me about the work that they did for nonprofits. Uh, so I had the ability to then go and join the Blackbaud team in Indianapolis. And I told, it was funny, I had told my wife uh, the first week and working there that this was going to be my career. Uh, helping nonprofits, working with technology was a perfect marriage of uh, not just what I thought my skill set was, but really where my passion lies uh, in supporting and helping nonprofits. And so I had worked uh, for Blackbaud in Indianapolis for about a year and a half uh, before uh, they brought me down here to Charleston, South Carolina, where I live currently, uh, to help run and really kind of manage uh, one of their peer-to-peer -peer fundraising platforms. Uh, which is the specific area of interest and focus that I had in nonprofits and fundraising and the nonprofit industry world. Um, and so I, I really dove headfirst into peer-to-peer -peer fundraising. Uh, and it coincided at the same time with the rise in Facebook fundraising and really the democratization of technology when it comes to fundraising, this idea that nonprofits and individuals especially were no longer bound uh, to any one platform that there were a variety of places that they could go out and choose um, not just the organizations, but really the mission areas that they wanted to focus on. Um, and Good United had reached out to me in early 2018 um, to tell me what they were doing with Facebook and Facebook fundraising. And uh, my first um, response to what they told me they were doing was kind of disbelief. Um, it sounded a little too good to be true, but obviously uh, they had uh, sold me enough on how they were helping nonprofits that they brought me on board um, as the, the leader of the sales team here. And uh, since that time, uh, almost a year now, uh, I've still obviously still in Charleston, South Carolina, working directly now uh, with new potential clients and still a hand in, in our existing clients. We're a, a small team and work together here um, to connect some of the dots. And when it comes to Facebook fundraising and, and really the overall mission uh, as us for a company and, and why we exist is to help uh, empower nonprofits to connect with supporters um, and nowhere is there a bigger gap of that today than on Facebook. Uh, and we're doing a really great job to support it. So that's my backstory and the quick, you know, so what of, of how we came to speak here today. No, that that's great. And, and one of the things I really love about this sector is all the interesting backstories and people who do come from outside of the nonprofit world, um, you know, with the, with the exception of rare few, most people don't set out to have a career in fundraising, it's just people that are either looking for uh, something different or more meaningful to do, which was definitely the case in your story, or uh, just have skill sets that they're able to apply. And um, it's really a great thing about this industry is that there really is just such a diverse group of people who make it up. And I, I think it's one of the things that really makes makes this business special. But um, now, a lot of our audience uh may work at nonprofits, or they could come from the agency world. Uh, my background is both in direct mail and digital. And there's a lot of fundraisers that 
may not know a lot about Good United or the uh, the real nuts and bolts of Facebook uh, fundraising or peer to peer in general. But uh, the, the thing about fundraisers is they they usually uh, want to learn and they're hungry for information. So if you don't mind, can you give a one on one overview of uh, the backstory of Good United? One of our co-founders, Nick Black, uh, who helped co-found a nonprofit Stop Soldier Suicide, which true to its name, uh, is an organization that works to prevent active duty and veteran military suicide. And they were an early adopter of Facebook giving tools. <clears throat> and I think it's really interesting that Nick tells the story of um, as things started to ramp up one month, they got a really big check from Facebook and he thought it was a mistake. Uh, and he jokes that his first gut instinct was to just not tell anybody. And he thought as an organization, they could do more with that money than Facebook could. Uh, but he later learned, uh, as did a lot of nonprofits, that it was not a mistake, <clears throat> that Facebook was a place where a lot of money ha was being raised and support was being garnered. Um, that coincided with Nick and our other co-founder, Jeremy Berman, um, who had Good United and had a mission to make supporters feel appreciated. Um, and again, this was the biggest gap of where that was happening. So we'll talk about in a moment kind of what the, the functional uh, gaps are in the technology and why that's such a big of a challenge. Uh, but at, at a very high level, Nick, uh, if, if you've ever heard from him or follow him on LinkedIn, you would know he's a very passionate person and he was bothered by the fact there were thousands of people every month fundraising for their organization, and they couldn't even take the basic steps to recognize these individuals and let them know why their support mattered. Uh, so together with Jeremy, they created the technology uh, to engage with supporters on Facebook and empower nonprofits to do so. Uh, and what they developed and, and now what we have been delivering on and are continuing to innovate with uh, is what we do today. Uh, and now work with close to 40 clients, some of the largest names uh, in the nonprofit world, uh, in helping to make sure that everyone on Facebook that supports them feels recognized and appreciated. And then we use some, what I think is some really cutting edge and groundbreaking technology to continue to foster that support on Facebook. And it's a great example of identifying a problem in the nonprofit space that really transcends mediums. Uh, thanking donors and expressing gratitude and making donors feel valued important is something which um, certainly is, is a big, are big topics in the sector right now. Um, but, but you're right. Um, most organizations have some degree of Facebook fundraising, but in a lot of cases, it's just incidental money that's coming into the organization, right? These are people that are having um, birthday fundraisers and, and, and things like that. And in a lot of cases, um, those donations are, are not being acknowledged and it's not being uh, cultivated in a programmatic way. For a lot of organizations, it's more of a passive revenue source. It, the, the genesis of what Facebook is doing with the birthday fundraisers and, and the Facebook giving tools really has its roots in just traditional uh, nonprofit fundraising. The difference being in the way that I explain it to our potential clients when we first start speaking with them to, to help give some people context is if we go, you know, and you and I have connected a lot on LinkedIn about this, uh, and I, as I do with others, which is 
what we do today is still the, the best practices that nonprofits are taught to deliver and have been since even before uh, the internet and computers going all the way back to uh, direct mail at its very genesis. And, you know, as we got into the, the initial peer-to-peer world and it was just people signing up on a clipboard and asking family and friends for donations, then there was a, a real big shift in the late 90s, specifically with Convio and TeamRaiser and the ability to bring all of this online and let somebody sign up for a run, create a profile, and solicit family members and friends. Uh, and all of that continued up until kind of this GoFundMe uh, Facebook development. The, the split and where the disconnect happened between then and now is that in the past, all of the technology, all of the process, and really all of the data was controlled by you as an organization. So you went to a vendor like a, a BlackBot or now a, a Salesforce or a Classy or anyone in market, and you paid them for the software. You developed the process, so the process by which they registered or donated. You controlled every step of the flow. And as a part of that, you can ask any question that you'd like, capture any data that you want to, hopefully to use for those, you know, continued best practices of, of stewardship and engagement. Um, now, all of that is happening, but it's on a platform like Facebook, where what they did is instead of uh, taking giving tools and applying it to the audience, they went out and used their pre-built audience. So this is where people are spending time and designed and, and uh, in our conversations with Facebook has been really interesting to hear them talk about they designed an experience that would be most seamless and the best user experience for a fundraiser and for a donor. And the nonprofit was really not a thought in their mind other than you know, helping to drive dollars towards a mission. So Facebook created this platform where it's really easy to fundraise. Anybody on Facebook who's you know, had a birthday, ex experienced a birthday on there can tell you they get a notification that says, you know, this year you can raise money for your birthday. Uh, and it's a couple of clicks. It creates a page. You can invite your family members and friends. They can make donations. It's usually only about a week long. The experience is great for a fundraiser and for a donor, and that it's very easy. They feel like they are making an impact. But again, that disconnect happens because the nonprofits don't own the technology process data uh, especially at scale, it's very, very difficult to get your arms around all this. Who's starting a fundraiser? When have we said thank you? Even if we do say thank you, how do we want them to engage with us next? Those are all questions that Facebook really didn't concern themselves with. Those are nonprofit concerns. And so because of that, it's, it's become this place where it's really easy to start a fundraiser and pretty hard to get anybody to acknowledge your effort from that nonprofit through no fault of their own. And it's really interesting um, hearing that perspective uh, from the perspective of Facebook, where they set out to create a fundraising experience that was inherently donor-centric, uh, whereas most of the rest of the, the, ecosystem, the fundraising ecosystem is about the organization and making sure that the organization um, uh, picks up information and is able to monetize donors over the, last, over the long haul whereas Facebook really set out to create a consumer-centric experience. And there's a lot that you touched on there that is worth diving into. Um, first thing is, when, when you talk about peer-to-peer -peer fundraising, yes. um, I'm sure you agree with this. The industry has a big problem with buzzwords. And sometimes buzzwords 
can be intimidating and people that are career um, direct mail people or been in the industry for a long time, they may hear them and think, well, that doesn't apply to me. Or we're talking about Facebook. This is um, about millennials. But in reality, peer to peer fundraising is something that goes um, back to the origins of fundraising. If you think about people going um, on, on walks and getting people to sponsor them, this is a concept that has been around for, for a very long time. What our specific definition of what peer-to-peer fundraising is varies wildly based on how long you've been in the industry, um, how you've dealt with it in your experience. At its highest level, and, and I explained this a lot when I would explain it to people who were new to BlackBot or maybe just didn't understand the peer-to-peer world, is where is the ask coming from during a, a fundraising campaign? Are you as the organization asking people to make a donation or is it other people on your behalf? Because as I've always defined it, and it's at its broadest definition, peer-to-peer fundraising is one individual who is not the organization asking another for a donation. So you know, I could go out and ask uh, all of my 400 friends on Facebook to make a donation to Mark's Kids, my nonprofit, or I could ask all 400 of those people to turn around and ask their network of 400 people for a donation. And it's a way to amplify your reach, to spread your message further and to raise more money. So that is a a broad sense of peer-to-peer fundraising. And when we think of it in those terms, it really applies to nearly every nonprofit. So, you know, sometimes we fall into the trap of people. I've, I've heard people in the past say, you know, we're a, a museum, we don't do walks. So peer-to-peer fundraising doesn't apply to us. And yeah, you're, you're probably correct in that um, there's not a lot of museums who are doing 5Ks, but um, there probably are situations, and it, it might be through a Kickstarter or it might be through a GoFundMe, when someone who is not affiliated with your organization says, come here, give money, give support, give time, give effort, um, that, that's still peer-to-peer. Um, it's just what lens do we view it through um, and to try to avoid those narrow definitions and really expand our possibilities and into if we think about it in those terms, it's just our network asking for support for for our organization. What then is possible uh, through that lens? Right. So it's really a question of does your organization have people who are enthusiastic about your organization or your cause and would be willing to raise money on your behalf? And um, we're just talking about doing it through Facebook. And uh, I'm sure you can speak to this. Um, I always find it interesting that we are such a data driven um, industry. And yet we still generally there's, we operate um, under some some gut assumptions that aren't necessarily accurate. And, and I, I think counterproductive and uh, one of them is still this conversation about, well, is Facebook for us? Can we raise money on Facebook? Um, I'm sure you've you've been acquainted with, with the data, but um, everything I hear is that it's actually the more traditional nonprofit donors, the, the direct mail crowd, age 55 plus, that's actually the fastest growing group on Facebook. Um, can you um, generally speak to that? With restrictions uh, that come from budget, and from staff, uh, there's no ability to hire uh, big teams of data scientists to comb through, you know, what's happening on social media and what does our average supporter look like. 
add to that fact, again, another one of those kind of, well, thank you, Facebook moments is they don't release that data to you about who these supporters are. At most of a donation on Facebook, you'll get a name and a an amount that they donated. And maybe we've seen about less than 2% of the time an email address if they share it. But it contains no information when it comes to age or geolocation or affinity to your organization. So when we uh, think about it in those terms about like, uh, to your point, Facebook isn't for us. Um, and it, it's interesting that it happens on both ends of the spectrum. Um, there is a perception among when we speak to younger people at nonprofits or uh, we brought on our newest employee is, is 18 years old. And, and his perception is that Facebook is for parents and grandparents. Um, in the social media world, Facebook, to your point, is, is aging up. Um, and then when we speak to other people within, um, you know, within the, the nonprofit community who are not engaging on Facebook, their complaint is, uh, we, you know, we have a little bit of an don older donor base. So Facebook really isn't an area that we spend a lot of time in. Um, and we actually just ran this data the other day for an existing client. And the information that we were able to obtain for them as far as like the demographic psychographic it, it mapped pretty closely to their average donor profile. But was what was super interesting is that when we compared their email address to the existing house file, nearly 90% were new. So if you think about it in those terms, what Facebook is uh, and the people that fundraise for you and potentially could support you on Facebook, they are very similar to your existing donor base, but they spend a lot of their time on Facebook and haven't uh, generally engaged with you through other channels and in other ways previously. So we're talking about people that are outside of the direct mail email list universe and uh, truly acquiring unique names, which um, is certainly an, an enhanced um, value proposition of looking at other channels is the ability to find donors that you may not find elsewhere. Let's talk tactics. Um, so, if if an organization um, uses Facebook fundraising and uses Good United, um, what is it that you've done to take the Facebook fundraising experience to the next level and um, really create a, a program out of something that is um, is really yeah so, abstract from um, organizations? The, and, the way uh, I not think that very, we have entered organized. into this world. Um, it's going to look very different uh, than the future of Good United in the next six months, year, five years. And because, and the reason that I say that is where we started uh, was this specific use case. And it was a scalability issue with some of the largest nonprofits in the world. You know, the, the Susan G. Komen's and the uh, Leukemia and Lymphoma Society who are having hundreds, thousands, even tens of thousands of people every month raise money for them. And they just want to be able to say thank you at scale. So we, had a, we have a managed services team that reaches out to each one of those fundraisers on their Facebook wall and posts a thank you message. But in addition to that, we provide a link to opt into Facebook Messenger. Uh, and the reason that we do that is because Facebook Messenger and, and what this has become is a, a way to engage with that new area of support. So to your point, if, if we think of this as just a green pasture of potential support, 
how do we engage with them? Um, one of the things that's really interesting about um, uh, this specific portion of the nonprofit landscape is how quickly attitudes have shifted. So when I came to Good United, one of the first big issues or problems that people asked us to solve was, how can we get the email address for our Facebook fundraisers? And we didn't really push beyond that. We just went out and said, okay, we can help you with that. So we post a thank you message. We ask them to engage on Facebook Messenger. And those people that we have a conversation with using our automated Messenger technology we ask them, what is your email address? And that was a great benefit to a majority of those clients. Those clients, and now even a lot of potential clients, are starting to ask the question, why do we want an email address? Or why do we want a mailing address? Or why do we want a phone number or any other data point that we're looking for? And now the, um, now the overwhelming uh, pain that we're helping to solve for, and really the potential gain that we can drive is Facebook. If we think of it again as a, a green pasture of support, we can use automated messenger technology as another channel to engage. So conceivably, you want that email address or that mail, mailing address or any other data point because you want to continue the relationship with that donor or especially that fundraiser. So somebody raises $1,000 for their birthday uh, in 2019 in March, maybe next January, there is a moment um, that is critical to you as an organization, and you want to ask for that person's support. Well, what you've done now is you've, you've identified that this person is new to your organization. You've used automated messenger technology during their campaign to definitely help them raise more money, but also collect more data about what are they interested in at your organization? Um, all those questions about email address and mailing address. You've taken all of that and you've captured it. So when that moment comes up again in January of, of 2020, the question becomes, what can we do with that? Uh, and really, we've just unlocked another channel. So as uh, I see you pointing out a lot on LinkedIn and those who are really on top of nonprofits and nonprofit communication, the best practice is omni-channel, meaning um, what are the ways that people want to engage? Do they want to keep that conversation going through Messenger? We can. Do they now just want emails from you? Um, does it make sense to, to get a return on investment from direct mail? It's really about leaning into that constituent's preferences. So we have essentially uh, changed kind of the, the thinking or the possibilities of Good United from, well, this is the company that helps me post a thank you message to Good United is now the, the leader in being able to capture supporters, new supporters on Facebook and engage with them wherever they see best fit, whether that be continuing on Facebook or allowing you to get that data back into those systems that you pay for like your direct mail lists or your email house file and automated email messaging to help engage with that individual where they want to be engaged. And, and I could hear a lot of, uh, a lot of development managers um, 
moaning and groaning about creating a new uh, fundraising channel by uh, having to now manage a Facebook Messenger program. But you shared something on LinkedIn the other day that absolutely blew my mind. And by the way, uh, definitely check out Mark's LinkedIn content because he's one of the Thank best you. out there. He's one of the guys that I, um, I, I, I follow on a consistent basis. Um, you, you asked, you polled the LinkedIn community and said and asked what the what we thought the average open rate was <laughs> um, for Facebook Messenger. Um, I guess fifty percent. I knew it was better than email. Um, but what was that actual number? Um, what we're tracking is when somebody creates a fundraiser for you, when Good United helps that nonprofit post a thank you message and asks them to opt into Facebook Messenger. So uh, for those who don't know on Facebook, in order to communicate through Facebook Messenger, it requires an active opt in. So you can't just blindly send them a message. They actually have to click the button and say, you know, get started. Once they do that, that is an open window or an open door to a new communication channel. And to your point, why this is powerful and what we started to find was if you compare it to somebody goes to your website or goes to an event and provides you with their email address and says, yeah, it's, it's okay, check that button to, it's okay to continue to contact me about future information. Um, what a, a stat that I pointed out that Blackboard tracks in their Illuminate Benchmark report Average open rate there is 14%, uh, which I think is, is pretty good. You send it out to 100 people, 14 of them are going to open it. In the Good United scenario where someone has clicked get started, yeah, I want to communicate with this nonprofit. When we send messages through Facebook Messenger or when a nonprofit does, they're opened 98% of the time, which seems outlandish. Uh, and I think people uh, listening to this may say, that guy's kind of full of it. Uh, he's touting what he does. That's part of it, yes. But uh, I actually had the opportunity to speak to a former Facebook employee uh, who was at a high level and, and was involved in uh, messenger and messenger development. And what he said was, we used to go into conference rooms. And what we would do is we'd look at everybody in the table and we'd say, who, who here has Facebook Messenger? And for anybody who raised their hand, he would point to them and he would say, tell me how many e unread emails are in your email inbox on your phone right now. And they would say the number. And then he would say, tell me how many unread Facebook Messenger messages you have. And that drives the point home. What's very unique about this communication channel, unlike email, where Gmail is the conduit, but anybody can send an email that has become overwhelmingly spammy and it gets worse and worse every year and gmail and other um, email tools get very good at identifying what you do and don't want to see and the ability to unsubscribe is so very easy facebook does not want messenger to fall victim to a spam filled terrible experience and because they can control the channel they have managed to keep it very free of spam. So anybody who's a user of Facebook Messenger or even somebody who, like me, who doesn't use Messenger very often, but I do use Facebook, when that notification pops up, in my mind, unlike an email, when I get an email, I just assume it's something I don't want to see. The Facebook Messenger notification for the majority of people is still very much a, oh, what is this? I need to read this. So when you put it in that context, it 
makes absolute sense that email message or excuse me, Facebook messenger open rates are so much higher than email because it's not a channel where we expect to get um, content that doesn't apply to us. We assume everything that's being sent to us through messenger applies to us. And it's something that we need to read. Uh, it's, it's very similar to why I've, 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 Absolutely. I, I've told f- fundraisers talk to that, um, Texting is very important to pay attention to for the same reason, because imagine imagine uh, an email with a 97 percent open rate <laughs> that kind of really drives it home. But I imagine that with great power comes great responsibility. So you're getting a 97 percent open rate. You probably don't want to um, jump right into traditional fundraising tactics. If, if I'm reading this correctly, is this about building a relationship and providing value if somebody comes to your website or comes to an event, provides an email address, and the first email that you send is 36 hours later, uh, and it says, make a donation, we'd love your support. That's bad. That's a bad way to do communication. Uh, It's not nonprofit best practices, independent of the channel. This is the same thing. It it requires cultivation. Uh, It requires, um, you know, the ability to... um, have a a good, meaningful conversation. The advantage to what Good United does in this one-to-one technology is that when we send a message through Facebook Messenger, depending on the answer, we can send different follow-ups immediately. So if you say, you know, why did you start this fundraiser? And someone says, it's because of a, in memory of a family member or friend, we can immediately ask, what's that person's name? And then they can share the name. And then we can say, great, we'd love to help you continue the memory of Kate uh, in your fundraiser and her memory uh, of losing her battle with breast cancer. How much like more of a compelling uh, story can you tell in that respect versus like if we ask, why did you start this fundraiser? And they say a family member or a friend. And then two days later, they get a message that says, uh, uh, here's something in memory of your family member or friend. So we can very much have it hyper-personalized. And so doing this is not hard. It's a conversation that we have internally all the time. And some people say like, isn't this just a bot? Like, no, we never say bot. We don't say bot because... It's not just here's some non-applicable question and then we ask you to do something. It's a conversation. It's that storytelling, the rich, uh, meaningful conversations that compel people to do something. Uh, Those same best practices just put into that really effective, personalized new channel. And and I really like the way that Good United is approaching this. You're really playing the long game in terms of building out relationships and really trying to preach the industry as a whole that this is something very powerful and um, not to abuse it. And and it's it's hard. It's easy to um, to forget. It's easy to forget this now. Um, I don't know how how old you are, Mark, but I'm 36, and I remember having an AOL email account, and you would literally le- read every email. And you would spend five minutes on it if that's what it took, because you didn't have many and everyone seemed important. And then 
marketers and some fundraisers too came along and and ruined that and and then email became what it is uh now which is uh requires a much very a much different approach so um it's definitely important to uh maintain the integrity of messenger if uh nonprofits are going to go down this road but the other aspect here is that because um open rates are so high and because donors are paying so much attention to Facebook and Facebook Messenger in general, um, I would imagine that there's still a, a pretty significant yeah, first-to-market I mean, advantage for nonprofits who decide um, to get on board with this now. It was interesting that you mentioned that now we have a we're we're growing here as a as a company. We had a new employee the other day um, say to me, they said, um, you know, we've been talking all today about these really interesting and unique use cases that you're doing for these different uh, nonprofits um, when it comes to how are we engaging with people through Messenger. He's like, you're not you're not charging for any of this. This is just like free work that you're doing for them. And my response was to that point about being first, like, well, we don't really understand um, the value in it yet. But we do have a lot of clients who are very willing partners to help us understand um, you know, why is it important to get certain data or how do you ask people to advocate versus what's the, what's the channel or what's the, the way to cultivate someone who's going to be a recurring giver. Help us understand those. And so there's value in that partnership. And they said, you know, point that out when you're talking to a potential client that you know, the ability to help uh, an organic birthday fundraiser to, to say thank you to them, help them raise more money and collect data. Good United has been doing that well and charging for that for 18 months. But the real value that you're bringing here is you're bringing on a lot of new uh, organizations who are helping um, not only Good United understand what do we want to accomplish with this, but they are active testing partners with us in um, you know, okay, I understand that that we're having these conversations in this very specific use case, but could we do this or could we ask them that? Um, we just had a client on the phone yesterday who said, we started a 501c4. Uh, can we tell people about our 501c4 and what we're planning to do behind advocacy and, and uh, engaging with, with government representatives? And we said, yeah, absolutely. Like, we'll, we'll all get in a room together and we'll figure out what do you want to tell people and why? And, and we'll just use this really effective communication channel to do all of that. And, and I, what, I'm, what I'm hearing there is, is a, a theme that um, is pretty common, I, I feel, throughout the nonprofit sector that um, we feel such a strong um, fiduciary responsibility to... Um, to make sure that we're bringing back the the best ROI possible and having the best uh, the lowest fundraising overhead that we don't always we don't often stop to think about well what could the value of this relationship be long time long term if we win the donors attention and trust and I really like what Good United is doing and uh, in playing the long game because my opinion is that. If you build up donor trust through fundraising messenger and you're constantly providing value and um, you're, 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 you're 
demonstrating that this isn't just another way to get money out of you. We're really trying to add to your relationship with the organization that long term, that will pay for itself in revenue. I mean, my my opinion on any type of value based or content based communication is get their attention first. And if you get their attention, you get their trust. The money will follow because there's a lot. I imagine there's a lot that you can do with that in terms of um, eventually going into periodic fundraisers or maybe asking for more information so you could get them into a direct mail fundraising stream. But the, the real hard part is what you're doing right now. And that's having the patience to develop that trust. Definitely. I mentioned before a small team, uh, but one that feels like we're doing this better than anybody else at the moment uh, and doing it very well. And I believe the, the reason that we can say that about ourselves is because uh, I tell this to people all the time. I, I lead sales here at Good United. I am terrible at sales. If you asked me to sell you shoes, uh, I would be awful. Uh, I can't help you negotiate the price of a car. I'm terrible at that. Why I feel like we're very good at this is because we're committed to things well beyond just having someone sign an agreement. Uh, for us and for me especially, if you do follow me on LinkedIn, you'll often see me post about the things that I am very, very passionate about. And that's not just uh, for clicks or shares. I really do this so that at the end of the day, I can go home and tell my family, we're helping to cure cancer. We're helping to feed the hungry. We're helping to change the world in all of the ways that when I first started looking for what is going to help me make an impact in my new job, I was searching for, which is to, at the end of the day, say that I had an impact on these things that are affecting me. And I say, how, how can I be part of the solution to these problems? This is the most effective way that I can do that, in my opinion, which is why I feel like we are so good at it, because we have a team of people who are focused on that. And that's what we're trying to get across to our clients is, um, you know, when you talk about return on investment, we understand that. We know that there is a perception of nonprofits that you shouldn't uh, spend too much money. You shouldn't try new things, um, you know, use predictable revenue sources. I had a conversation early on with an internal uh, employee here at Good United who said, um, you know, we, we gave this great return on investment presentation. Why would this person tell us that they don't want to partner with us? And what I said was their feedback is um, if you're telling me I have to spend a dollar, I'm just going to go see where I can get the most dollars in return. Does this give me $3 back for my $1? Because as a nonprofit, the, the pressure that I'm feeling as an employee is every day return more dollars for this dollar. And to your point, that limited overhead thinking, which uh, I think is great. Uh, there's a community of people on LinkedIn who are really trying to chip away at this. But that thinking of, uh, of always thinking about overhead, always thinking about controlling costs, what it ultimately does in a lot of cases is limit innovation because it doesn't allow us to spend a dollar where something may be new or different um, and that that has the potential to not just return money today, but return plenty of money and support and engagement across all channels years into the future. And so we want to be cognizant of that. We want to speak to it and understand that uh, with our current and potential partners um, and like I said, I like to think that we do a, a really good job of that. So I'm, I'm happy to hear you say that. 
And we're talking to Mark Cross from Good United, and we're talking about Facebook fundraising. And Mark, in the few minutes that we have left, um, a lot of the conversation that we've had so far has been about finding new donors and donors that are not available elsewhere. I, I would like to get your thoughts because um, a significant percentage of the people who are listening to this podcast probably do work in other channels. What, what are your thoughts on the prospects of being able to take a direct mail donor, to take an email donor and cultivate donors who want to go out and become uh, essentially advocates for your organization and raise money on Facebook and find another way to engage them? Do you see potential there at, for this to be a tool to make donors from other channels more Absolutely. valuable by... I um, I, I certainly do, and hopefully anybody who's listening with them. Uh, and you, Dan, can appreciate one of the one of the most challenging things in working with nonprofits. And this is a this is a for profit business problem as well. But specifically in this case that we're speaking of, there is very much an issue with uh, attribution silos. So uh, the people who spend budget for direct mail want to know that they're getting money back for direct mail. And the email people want to be able to attribute every dollar to email. And if I'm running commercials or if I'm doing social media advertising, this is my budget. I want you to be able to know that every dollar came from this one channel. And often those attribution silos, uh, when it's done really poorly, the way that that manifests itself is that we don't we don't want to have those discussions about could a cross channel communication strategy be beneficial? Because if you think about it just in those terms, the obvious answer is yes. Where do I bring more value uh, as a person who only contributes via email or do I bring value if I sign up for an event online, but every year I also mail in my check at the end of the year. And then for my birthday, I do a fundraiser on Facebook. To every nonprofit that we speak to, that the answer is, is very much obviously the latter. Those, those omni-channel supporters are the ones that are super valuable, but that's only valuable to you as an organization as much as you understand that there is value in cross-channel communication and work against the tendency to fight about attribution. And Mark, as we prepare to wrap things up, uh, I'd like to finish with the question that we ask all of the guests that come on the show. Um, what do you feel is the biggest challenge right now facing the nonprofit sector? Uh, I had a conversation with someone on LinkedIn the other day about this. Dan Pilatus' TED Talk was 15 years ago, and he railed against, um, you know, the way we think about nonprofits and charity is dead wrong. And it's, we're 15 years later, and we, ha we have made very little headway there. So I still believe that to be the biggest challenge. Yeah, and that's, that's something that I've been very passionate about in, in this project with the podcast and a lot of the content that I put on LinkedIn is that I, I do believe that these digital touch points do influence um, or do impact response rates on other channels. And 10 years ago, I learned a very important lesson um, from a study that an organization did where they compared donors that they had email addresses for versus those who they don't. These were direct mail donors. And just the presence of an email address or the act of someone supplying their email address, even if you didn't send them anything, increased the value of that donor. So that told me right away, and this is, I think is really playing out in today's environment, that when we're talking about attribution, even if somebody 
does a birthday fundraiser and never donates a cent themselves through social media, I, I think that extra layer of communication and the deepening of the relationship, I think that's really valuable and something that will play itself out in the long term. But um, to your point, there was a lot of work to be done within the industry to get direct mail people in the same room with a company like Good United and convince them we can help make what you do more valuable. And um, I, I think that um, over the long term, we'll get there. But I, I agree that the silos are, are very hard to, to break down. And, and I appreciate your advocacy and, and the work that Good United is trying to do on that front. Well, I'm definitely um, on board and agree with you on that front. And um, I, I think the way we get there and overcome overcoming that is by more people that are involved in the nonprofit space, uh, speaking out about it and, and telling some truths about uh, some of the unintentional harm that could be done by focusing too much on these metrics, uh, even if they are uh, well-intentioned. Mark, if our listeners would like to learn more about you or the work that Good United is doing, what's the best way for them to do that? I would encourage you to check me out on LinkedIn. Uh, it's Mark Cross on LinkedIn. You can check out Good United uh, or any of our employees. I would especially uh, recommend checking out our two co-founders, Nick Black and Jeremy Berman, who are always posting really interesting, engaging content as well. Yes, I, I definitely, again, uh, give another plug to Mark's content. Uh, he's one of the good guys in the industry. Mark and I uh, connected on LinkedIn several months ago and have built a relationship from there. And um, he's definitely in it for all the right reasons. And, and I do follow uh, Jeremy and Nick's content as well. And I would encourage um, fundraisers maybe that are like me to have a direct mail background to uh, just start learning about the medium of Facebook and Facebook fundraisers, because uh, I do think that what you guys are doing and building quality relationships with donors and focusing on gratitude um, really um, is something that a lot of fundraisers across mediums can learn from. And, and it's really something that can revolutionize fundraising in, in the long term. So I thank you for all the work that you're doing. I appreciate and, it. I appreciate I the opportunity, Dan. time out of your day and being so generous with your time to speak with us today. And we're back to wrap things up with our interview with Mark Cross from Good United. And um, I really uh, hope that you enjoyed that interview, that it brought you value, especially in the context of the pandemic. And I think there's a lot of themes there that we can uh, apply. And um, but again, I'm actually kind of glad that this interview took place before the pandemic, because I think what it illustrates is that and I, I've, I've used this phrase a, f a few times that the things that we're talking about now about being important, about being able to quickly communicate with do donors and be able to do so in a nimble way in an emergency and be able to communicate with them across channels, it's not a wartime footing. It's uh, really the direction that the industry should be heading in, especially if we're going to take a page out of what we're seeing be successful uh, in the commercial sector that companies that have uh, relationships with um, con consumers that speak in a united voice across multiple channels are the ones that uh, have the strongest relationships with those um, customers. And, th and that's something that um, we're going to see spread to the nonprofit world um, in terms of retention. And uh, I think it's just a matter of time before numbers get put to some of this stuff. But um, as we talked about, one of the big challenges uh, with Facebook Messenger or any other really new or emerging trend that is 
um, more communications based. That's not direct response fundraising based that you can't put a number to right away to say it's going to bring back X is that it's very difficult um, to get buy-in from organizations that are focused on overhead metrics and um, ensuring that um, with with good cause that their time is spent on things that advance their mission and raise the most money possible and that we're not just putting in um, time and effort and, and money into things that are strictly communication-based. But I do believe that one of the evolutions that we're going to see over the coming years is we are going to see organizations start to put money to this uh, or start to put numbers to this. Uh, in the same way that I referenced in the interview, that study from 10 years ago that showed that direct mail donors who volunteer um, uh, an email address are inherently more valuable just because they want to be or they're raising their hand. They say they want to be communicated with with the second channel. Uh, we are going to find out um, that organizations who do build relationships with their donors through email and through Facebook Messenger and through um, regular social media posts that each of these layers has a value to it, and the donors who um, uh, who who participate on multiple channels um, are going to be uh, super donors and the most valuable ones. I, I think there's a lot of anecdotal evidence to suggest that this is the case, and things are going in that direction. But it's going to be years, um, I think, before there's really high-profile case studies for this stuff, and. Uh, in the meantime, there's going to be a lot of smart organizations that get ahead of, uh, get ahead of these trends, that take a page from the commercial playbook, and uh, are going to generate a lot of value uh, with their donors and, and really deepen their relationships by um, having the courage to test these th things out, even if uh, right away they're not going to be able to attribute any revenue to it. So I can tell you that as a direct mail fundraiser, uh, I am very excited about the prospect of organizations uh, using Facebook Messenger because of the high open rates. I mean, 97%, uh, just like text messaging, um, in that it's uh, a very high open rate, uh, so your messaging will get through. Uh, you have a better idea if we send to these people that they're going to read it, they're going to internalize the message. It's a little bit more guesswork with email when you talk about pairing up email with direct mail because uh, it, it's hard to know exactly how many people are going to look at this message uh, because of the relatively low e uh, open rates associated with email. I'm not down on email, but it's just a reality when you're comparing the open metrics. Um, it, it's very exciting to be able to pair your messaging with direct mail with an electronic electronic format where um, the message, uh, the, the complementary content or communication is going to be almost universally read. And I see that uh, as adding a lot of value to direct mail and really priming the donor with quality interactions before the mail piece arrives. And, um, you know, that that's something I think organizations which are relying on direct mail should be looking at um, with Facebook, Messenger, um, but channels in general of how to uh, add complementary lines of communication before the direct mail pieces arrive. So you have a ton of unrealized opportunity there for the, the channels to work together. But as, as we talked about with Mark, there's a lot of work to be done in the sector to break down the silos and a lot of companies that are very uh, insular in the things that they work on and uh, maybe some forced collaboration that is needed there. But for the companies that realize it, um, I just think there's a tremendous amount of upside. And uh, this type of groundbreaking conversation 
uh, and these thought-provoking discussions. This is exactly what we're trying to generate here on the Dynamic Nonprofit Podcast and our DNP Groundbreaker interviews. So um, I really hope that uh, this interview brought you value and got you thinking about ways you might be able to break down the silos and expand into different ways to communicate with your donors. And um, I think we, we realized coming out of this pandemic that um, these communication channels that we're talking about, where maybe they um, were not prioritized as much because of the uh, lack of ability to directly uh, attribute um, revenue to them, are more important than ever, um, and they're going to become even more important as we move ahead here through the pandemic and, and into a, a long, uh, possibly a, a long recessionary period. Um, those lines of communications and uh, the, the deepening of our relationships with our donors are going to become uh, ever more important. So really timely discussion, uh, even though it was a couple of months old. And um, if you get value out of this uh, interview with Mark, if you get value out of the Dynamic Nonprofits podcast, um, the very best way that you can help support the show and help advance our mission to advocate for an unsiloed approach to fundraising and uh, facilitate groundbreaking discussion, the very best way you can do that is by uh, reading and reviewing the podcast and subscribing on your podcast channel, uh, your podcast platform of choice. Um, iTunes is great, but really uh, any platform where you can rate and review us and help boost us in the rankings, it's going to help more people in the industry discover the show, and it's going to uh, help us uh, um, attract more high-profile interviews uh, who are working on groundbreaking ideas in the industry. But um, hope you enjoyed this one, and I will certainly be talking to you soon. Um, but until next time, I'm Dan Saunders saying good night, stay well, stay safe, stay united.